we can't really base any anything off of Ryan. Like <laughs> nothing about Ryan is like anybody else I've ever met. Welcome to Clocker Counter. I'm James Wiseman, and with me is Ryan Young. And today we have special guest Ilka Zimon. Now, Ilka, you were our first guest on the podcast in our last episode, and you immediately started an enormous controversy. And if you have kids listening at home, just skip ahead <laughs> three or four minutes because I'm going to use a word that's slightly inappropriate. Nothing too bad, but Ilka, we really need to talk about the boob of it all. <laughs> so you said something in our last podcast, which I'll admit in real time, I also heard the word boob. <laughs> and you told me when you listened back to it, you thought it sounded like you said the word boob. Totally. But you weren't trying to say the word no, boob. No, not at all. I said group. So I didn't say if you don't like boobs, then it's fine to not go to the party. It's like if you don't like groups. Although I don't think to say boobs is inappropriate. But I agree. <laughs> I agree. I like to say boobs, but I didn't in that case. Not. In I thought you were making some kind of side throwaway progressive remark of you can like <laughs> no. all kinds of people and not like other kinds of people and you're welcome here. What's but weird anyway? It makes much more sense that you were saying group. This is another good reminder that at some point, if not, if we haven't done it a million times already, Ryan and I are definitely going to say something either accidentally inappropriate or wrong, or we're just going to be so oblivious to our own ways of thinking that we're going to say something we really wish we didn't say. I, for one, listening back, I said the word in a hypothetical idiot. And when I was thinking about it, I really don't like this word. And I have a young nephew now and it's a word i would tell him not to use like i probably shouldn't have used that word but when you're doing this in real time you're going to say things you you regret and i'm glad i can first make fun of ilka for saying boob and so when which we I do didn't. something similar which again as you said there's nothing wrong with that but it was just kind of strange and unexpected right especially in this context true right is there anything you know you've said that you really are embarrassed about not yet Okay, good. I'm wondering who at home is thinking, but you should be. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to do mostly listener questions, but Ryan, you wanted to give everyone an update on version three of the judging system. And just to be clear, this isn't a new judging system with new substantive rules. It's just a new technological implementation, kind of like getting an iPhone update. This is just a new <laughs> iOS for the judging system. Yeah, it's a new backend. So this is this is it. This is the version that's going to convince people. So like what's currently implemented now is good and it was better than what we had before, but this is the one that's past the threshold. Like when I look at it, it is I use the same words to describe looking at the new version 3 judging system that I do like watching the ballet. I like look at the data schema, I'm like this is so elegant. And then like I run it and test it, I'm like it's beautiful. So now, you sent it to me. I haven't used it. Some friend I am. But Ilka, I know you've spent some time with it. And your first impression was it's terrible. But then when Ryan explained to you how to use it, you said it works perfectly. Yeah, um, apparently I came on the score sheet and not on the judge seat, uh, sheet. Sorry, uh, You can um, better explain it, Ryan. 
So there you had to press two buttons, but on the actual judging sheet where you're going to judge, you just have to press once everything. And it's super intuitive and easy and yeah, it's great. So thank you, Ryan, for putting so much effort. So other than the fact that you are pleased with yourself, that it looks beautiful in the code, what benefits does this provide to judges or tournament directors? The first one is it's platform agnostic, which means you can use anything to run the system now. Like you can use your phone or a Mac or Linux or anything like that. Okay. Will it make it less likely to have technical problems during the tournaments, especially when people other than you are trying to run the system. Yeah. So a second benefit is before you would have to set up a network on the field and run it through your network. But now you don't have to do that anymore. Like one of the big assumptions I made too early was there is no internet at the field, but it's mm -hmm. 2023. There's internet on the field at everywhere now. And now I rely except Germany, except where yeah, Cologne. Ex except Germany, apparently. <laughs> we'll see about that. But if your phone works in Cologne, the judging system will work in Cologne. Awesome. And one thing that I don't think we've talked about when we talked about the judging system that's worth mentioning, because I think a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of this, but you are working towards getting the judging system in a place that it would be easy for somebody else to take it over. Now that someone else is probably going to have to be a computer programmer or someone with a little bit of technical know-how, but everything is open source and it's on GitHub. And it seems like now that it's a little bit cleaner on the back end, it'll be simpler for someone else in the future to take it over or, you know, redesign it for their own purposes if they're interested in doing that. Exactly. Like, I think you can deploy the whole stack. Like you can, like if my, I don't know, if I disappeared, and someone else needed to reset everything up, they could go to the GitHub, download it with one click, and then deploy it with one command, and it would just start working. So that's the that's what it can do now. And I think, and I'm sorry if I asked this and the answer is no, and then you look really bad. But I think you also, sometimes when you send me stuff, you have a wiki that you've made that explains a little bit of how it's supposed to work. Yeah, so a big part of it being uh, transferable or like, I documented as I went this time. And so all the steps and all like the underlying workings and like the intention, which is the important part when you're trying to, I don't know, like take over something is there. And it's just right in the front. You can just look at it on the GitHub page. Okay. And just to get ahead of the conspiracy theories, where in the code do they find the multiplier that gives me and you extra points when we compete? Is it like at the beginning of the code, the <laughs> middle of the code, or the end of the code? Probably somewhere between the middle and the end. Because okay, that's a joke. No <laughs> one's going to get that, and 10 people are going to write angry emails about it. There is no multiplier in the code that helps me and you. Okay, anything else on that, or should we go to our listener questions? Uh, nope, just look forward to it at Frisbeer. Hey, that's it. Okay, cool. Okay, so we have a few questions today. I'll read the first one. Now, this is a total coincidence. This was not planned. It just happened this way. The last podcast we recorded with Ilka wasn't even out yet, but we got a great question from Stefan Dunkel. Like the one and only, I, you cannot make this up. 
Now, if you haven't listened to the last podcast, please go back and check it out. If somehow you're living under a rock and you don't know, Stefan Dunkel is Ilka's muse. He is just the personification of all that's good in freestyle. And Ilka is his number one fan. Now, I think I can speak for both Ryan and I and say that we are also big fans of Stefan. And we really appreciate him because he sent us a few questions over the time we've made this podcast. And I really like the question he sent us today. And remember, if you want us to use your name when we ask one of your questions, just tell us. I checked with Dunk and he's happy for us to use his name. So I will read it and I don't think I'll have to paraphrase it. So Dunk said, speaking to me and Ryan, you two are really ambitious and success oriented. And most of your podcast is about becoming better, more efficient and more successful. Personally, I would be more interested in what the sport and the jamily means to you in your life. For me, jamming is more like meditation, and I consider it absolutely essential for my mental health. Success and rankings are not that important. Do you not have this, quote, hippie approach to freestyle at all? Or are you simply used to being so ambitious from your job? Is it a question of personality, or can you decide what you use the sport for? Can you possibly let go a little bit after the world champion titles and see it more relaxed? Or do you not enjoy it when you don't win? So I'm going to break my mold here and go to Ilka after you. So Ryan, why don't you start? And there's a lot of questions in there. We can kind of take it one piece at a time, but start wherever you want to start. Okay. I'm going to start at the top, which is the, the ambitious. Are you, am I simply used to being ambitious at my job? And I think my entire life, I just, I'm go oriented and I like practicing. And when I would play Frisbee, the meditation part of it was practicing and the side benefit of practicing a lot was I got better. And that's, yeah, it was like winning was like a side product of the part I really liked. Okay. Let me jump on a part of that. And then I want to ask what Ilka thinks about it. So let's maybe start with the first kind of sub question here being about kind of what our relationship is to getting better in practice. So I agree very much with what you said. And I want to emphasize the last part you said, which is, I think a lot of times when at least I get misunderstood, but I think you as well, is people view our passion for getting better as a passion for winning, but it's really unrelated. And we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, but at least for me, almost everything I work on has nothing to do with winning because I'm never going to use that stuff. You know, like most of the stuff I practice <laughs> will never appear in a routine. So like I've used the example, I'm practicing all my doubles on my weak side. There's no reason to do those. Like I'm not gonna get more points for doing them. In fact, I'm gonna get less points for doing them because it's gonna be a lot worse. Or like I've practiced every day for three or four years, the crosswind roll set. If I put it in a routine, no. In fact, that's more about getting better in the jamming context rather than the competitive context. Um, and I almost find it really fascinating. And I think it's just different kinds of people value different kinds of things in life. Whatever I'm doing in my life, I care so much about learning. Like learning is what keeps it interesting for me. And if I'm not learning something, I quickly lose interest. So I know I'm blithering, I'll come to you in a second, but I am so jealous of people who can freestyle in that meditative way. Like when I watch Fabio Sana play by himself and he can just, truly jam by himself, just in total flow, just move, 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 move. Everything's different. Everything's going. 
I think that's amazing. Because when I try to do that, I get about maybe a minute in and then either something goes wrong and I'm like, oh, I got to stop. I want to figure out what went wrong there, like how I can fix that. Or I come up with some idea and I think, ooh, like I want to stop and pause and work on this idea and see if I can make it better. So for me, the flow state and what keeps me excited is the learning process. And the only version I get of the meditative process where I'm not really focused on learning is in jamming with other people. But I don't really have that so much with myself. So long story short, I just want to say that I think for me and I think for you, our focus is on learning and getting better for its own sake and not necessarily getting better because it leads to better competition results. Ilka. Mm. Well, I said a lot already in the last podcast, so I don't want to repeat myself, but I um, also have a problem taking freestyle as a meditation process because... Let me... Yeah. We got a little random noise here. Let me fix that. <laughs> okay, Ryan, do whatever you want with that. Okay. Cut it out if you can. Leave it in if you have to. Okay. Um... So I also have problems um, seeing it as a meditation process because I used to overthink stuff. So for me, it's hard to get into the flow in a jam, especially if I'm with people I don't know very well. Um, I, yeah, it's so I rather practice on my own. I admire people who can practice in jams and try things out. Yeah, I have the feeling people are watching me way too much, so I have to practice on my own. And then it's also about learning and uh, challenging myself because when I first um, saw the sport and um, like understood a little what the people were doing, I was not sure if I was able to do it. And I never thought about becoming um, a really good player. Um, so it was just, as I said last time, spending time with friends. And then I didn't want to sit around and watch them doing sports. I wanted to play with them. So I had to learn it. And then I don't I didn't want to bore people like by doing the same thing every time. So I, I knew I had to get better to even also make the playing experience better for the people around me and to make it more fun to me too. So if I didn't challenge myself, it would get boring at some point. So, yeah. But I spend way too little time into it to really get better fast. So I'm getting better in that, trying to find ways to get out of work and go in the field. But mostly I take my time um, to play on tournaments. So that's why I go to tournaments that much. One thing you said in particular that I really love that was a big part of my freestyle life was wanting to come back with something new to show everybody. So especially, and it's come in different forms. So when I was in New York and most of the people I played with were mentors that were more experienced players than me, I got a lot of joy of kind of being like, oh, wait till I show them this. They're going to think this is so cool. Or like, look at this improvement I've made. And now I have a different problem, which is much more rooted in fear and embarrassment, which is I don't want my new freestylers to be like, well, we've kind of seen everything that he can do. So I kind of want to keep bringing new things and, make them understand that the boundaries of what you can do in freestyle are so wide that there's really always something new to work on. And kind of relatedly, almost in that growth mindset kind of world, 
I want to show them that even if you've kind of reached the mountaintop, you're still trying new things and falling on your face doing it. So I think actually today, and I wonder if like Ilka noticed this or thought about this, at the end of the jam, it was Will and me, and we were having a very fun, totally goofy jam where we were messing around and trying different throws and trying different stuff. And even Will at some point was like, okay, I need to catch one now. <laughs> like it's been like 10 <laughs> minutes and we haven't caught anything. I need to get back on the board. And I liked it because it was so much fun. And I find a lot of times that I worry that these kind of jams could very quickly become a slog, but they always are the jams where at the end of it, one of the new players looks at me and says like, that was so much fun today. And then I think going to another thing Ilka said about how other people perceive it for a long time. And to this day, to a large extent, especially when I'm playing by myself, which is rare in the public, but I find it really hard to practice and learn new things when everyone is walking by thinking, look at this person, he's terrible. And he just keeps dropping it. But what I like about what we can do in Durham is we're always laughing and smiling when we're experimenting. And so I think by doing that, and some of it is kind of fake it till you make it, at least on my part, by doing that, you make it fun for everybody because just laughing about your mistakes and showing that it's a safe place to work on new things makes it fun for everybody. But also people who walk by see that you're trying something and I think they better understand that it's an experimental process and it's cool. But I, I don't know. Anyways, I really like that idea, Elka, of trying to come back with something something mm. new. And I'd like to add something, if I may. There um, was this moment where I realized, okay, I always want to be the best, best friend, the best sister, the best daughter, the best uh, colleague at work. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty ambitious on a lot of parts in my world. And I never wanted Frisbee to become that because it was so relaxed for a very long time and I didn't want to ruin it. I wanted to um, keep it as a, as a strict hobby and don't put too much pressure on me because I tend to put too much pressure on me. Um, but then I realized I didn't put much time into it, although it's really good for me. It's a good workout. It's um, good to, to meet the people and everything. So to now drop the name, I sat with Matt Gauthier in in uh, Roger Meyer's garden in 2016 and realized maybe I have to try uh, to get better in this, like to put pressure on me, to actually like to, to aim at that, to actually do something which is good for me. And it helped. It helped to put goals and say, okay, I really need to get better in that to take this time. So I tricked myself in a way. So let me pivot the question a little bit and send it back to you, Ryan. And because one thing that seems to be in what Duke's asking is kind of understanding how other people might view the sport. And we say this somewhat often on this podcast, which is obviously you and I have a very specific perspective because of our journey through freestyle. I mean, if you have a freestyle podcast, you're a certain kind of freestyler and you're not the majority of freestylers probably. And so I think I've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating that like, I don't expect everyone in the freestyle community to have the same interest in getting better that you and I might have. Mm -hmm. And I really envy the people who can reach a certain level and be happy with it. I think I would be a much happier person if I could become content with the things that I have and the things that I can do. And that it takes a certain amount of enlightenment to be able to do that. But I kind of need that goalpost to 
I don't know, just have the motivation to wake up every morning and get through the day. And I really <laughs> struggle. And like, I actually have to work on it now because especially outside of freestyle, there's a lot less milestones in my life now. I'm not in school anymore where I'm trying to get to the next grade and learn the next thing. It's just sort of like I'm at work and every day is kind of the same. And what are my goals now? So I'm having to like learn to be content, but I'm almost glad that I have something like freestyle where there really is no endpoint and you can't always keep learning. But like, how do you think about it, especially in terms of how you talk to other people or how you approach new players and kind of trying to understand how their motives might be different? So like what I like the practice part, but what I'm practicing changes. Like we're just talking about the judging system. I'm on the third version of it. Like I've been trying to make the perfect judging system for two tries now. And I'm like on the third try. And yeah. I don't I kind of want to ask you this, but like is so freestyle, I really like freestyle because it's fun um, or like I'm good at it and it's fun. But is there something you're not good at that's also that's fun? Well, there's lots of things I'm not good at. I'll give you a few examples. So one thing I was actually talking about this recently with some people, everyone thinks I'm good at foreign languages because they know I've studied them. <laughs> but the truth is I'm terrible at other languages. I cannot speak any other language but English, really. And it's not for a want of trying. I took Spanish for years. I took Czech for years. I tried to learn German on my own. Can't do it. Piano. I've been working on piano lately. I'm so bad and I'm learning so slowly, but it's kind of awesome to be bad at something. But at the same time, I'm also learning to deal with the fact that my brain at 31 does not have the same plasticity that it had at 21. I think that's a myth. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. I feel like I've read that it's not so much of a myth, or at least maybe it's something that you can overcome. And maybe you have to overcome in the ways that I'm trying to overcome it. But when I think about when I was playing music when I was young, I picked it up really quickly. And for whatever reason now, I find it a lot harder to do that. And it's interesting. But now I'm kind of embracing my life as long theory of like, I don't really need to get better now. I don't need to get better next week. I don't need to get better next month. But if I get better over the next 20 years, that's good enough. So I'm embracing the journey and it doesn't, it, and it goes to maybe another thing about the doom question, which is like, I don't need to get better to a certain degree. I just need to get better. So even if it's just the tiniest bit better, that makes it worth doing, even if I'm not making big leaps, which certainly in freestyle now, I'm not. I mean, there was a long time where every year I feel like I got twice as good. But now if I get, you know, 2% better, I feel like I'm making huge strides. It's just, it's really hard because even as you get better, you're losing skills. I mean, I think of it like as you get better at freestyle, you're just grabbing clumps of sand that you're trying to hold in your arms. And even as you grab more sand, lots of it is still just slipping through your fingers. I mean, there's things I was a lot better at 10 years ago than I am now. And it's just hard to keep all those things in the mix. It's a really good question. I'm, um, I was thinking while you were talking about something I could name. Um, I guess it's not fun to me if, there are other people around me. Like I started ballet, um, which I didn't like for a lot of reasons, but also because I didn't grow up doing 
mm, yeah, dance or coordinative things. I played soccer and I loved uh, all sports, which uh, had a ball involved, like basketball and all these things. But I never did like dancing. And so I'm for some reason, I'm really bad in someone showing something and I repeat it. And every time I figure out what the other person has done, they're already at the next thing. And I I hate stuff like that, where everyone seems to be much faster than me. And um, But if I'm alone, like I'm not necessarily good in painting or, but I like to do it if I have to get creative, um, it's kind of fun. So I wouldn't say I'm very good in that. And I haven't been good in, in freestyling necessarily. I just put work into it, became fun. After you've said that, I'm like, how good are you at dance? Because I know how good you are at freestyling. You just compared the two as similar. So now I'm thinking you're a much better dancer than you let on. Well, I don't think so. I mean, no one ever commented on it. But as I said, I can see... Uh, how fast the others are and that until I figured out if it was the right or the left leg the person has used um, they are already at the next exercise and maybe I would have to put more work into it and it's a learning process but I'm kind of not willing to do it for ballet because it's uh, yeah it's not it's really not fun Um, and it makes me quite aggressive because you use all your muscles and then nothing happens. I feel like everything is tense in the end, but then there's not the moment you can let out the energy. And so, yeah. What's well, interesting. So do you think it's when you're doing something new or you're doing something you're bad at, is it a lot less fun for you because you're bad at it? Um, well, it's uh, Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe I, if it's getting fun, I put more work into it and then I... I make uh, progress very quickly. Maybe it's also this, but um, I can't get my head around not comparing myself to the others, which is a pity, which makes it hard for things like yoga or Pilates where you should meditate. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so bad in that because I'm comparing myself to people who have been doing that for for ages. Yeah. So I know that this is uh, something I should not. See, I think I generally really get a kick out of being bad at things. And I think part of it is that there's so much joy in learning very quickly. It is cool when you know that that 20 minutes of practice you put in is going to make you twice as good the next day. And I also think because I've had so many hobbies that I've taken pretty far, it's familiar to me. It's not sort of like, oh, I'm bad at this and this is frustrating. It's like, oh, I remember when I felt this way and freestyle or drumming or any other hobby I had. And I kind of look forward to being at the fastest moving part of something, a hobby. I mean, it's, I think about how much fun I think the Durham freestylers are having in their first few years. I think the most fun years of freestyle for me were my first few years. And so getting another crack at that, something new is pretty enjoyable. But what do you think on just that question, Ryan, of whether you like something less when you're bad at it initially? No, I'm the same as you because especially if I'm just starting something and I'm bad, that seems perfectly acceptable to me. But there is so much opportunity to improve that it's exciting. 
Like that far yeah. outweighs the negative of being the worst person in class. But I have, I will say that dance, I have like the same experience that Ilka does where it's not something I'm good at. And a lot of times I am the worst person in class. And it's one of the few things where I don't have to be improving at dance to enjoy it. Like almost everything else I do in life, I need to be improving to enjoy it. But dance is like this weird exception. Interesting. I'm going to think if there's something that I do that I know I'm not getting better at. I know so. one. I know one. What is it? Your Dota career. So I thought you might say that. I mean, it's I have not been playing Dota lately. I kind of had to give it up. But that is a great example. But the problem with that is... Dota is basically like fentanyl. So it's <laughs> it's fun because it's hacking my brain and abusing my dopamine circuit so that no matter what happens, it's fun. I mean, someone could be whipping me in the back <laughs> while I was playing Dota and it would still be enough to trigger all my dopamine and, and make me have a good time. But that is a great example. I mean, we joked about that at the beginning of the podcast when I was still playing. I mean, by the numbers, I was getting worse at Dota and yet I still found it incredibly fun yeah it's interesting so there's a couple more subparts of Duke's question one that i'm very excited about but first i know we touched on this last time but i just want to say once and for all because i know the views of everyone in this room the, everyone on this podcast right now does not care about winning at least in the way that people think we do and i think my theme of today is mixing up two different things so i think we all care about having a performance that we're proud of. And it just so happens that that goal aligns with the kinds of things you would do to win. And so we get misunderstood. So I care a lot about my performance and kind of living up to the standard that I set for myself. But whether I win or lose isn't that important to me. And to make it clear, and then I'll see what you guys say about it, I would much rather get second place in a routine that I'm proud of that I could show someone and say, look, I thought this was really cool. What do you think? Versus winning a tournament that I played terribly in, but maybe everyone else played worse and I won. I kind of think you both would agree with that. And I'll start with you, Ilka. Yeah, I said exactly that the last time. So I would repeat myself. Yeah. Ryan? I yeah, I think I mostly agree. So I, I think what I'm most proud of, of the points run, is I realized that winning is a habit and I would practice the habits that would make me win. So like in the beginning I would practice Frisbee moves, but in the points run I would practice winning, but how I would practice winning is by practicing the habits, like getting, making, practicing the habits to catch at the critical points yeah. and not dropping things like that. And like when we were done playing, it wasn't like all the trophies. It was like all these habits I built. This is what I, look back on and be like, that's what I'm proud of. But see, I think this is something that at least me and you are the most misunderstood about. Because I think people think like you made the judging system because it would help you win somehow. Or like people like often interpret our behavior through the lens of trying to win. And I think they're kind of getting it wrong. And one time where I really noticed this, because, you know, when people are saying not so nice things about you, you don't know, say them to your face. But like this year, Zofia and I got second in Worlds. Maybe we should have gotten third or fourth, whatever. But so many people came up to me and said, like, oh, I know you must be so disappointed. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I feel great about what we did. Like, <laughs> we did, we had pretty low expectations. Like, you know, obviously we could have played better and I wish we'd played better, but I was 
super happy with how we played given the expectations and it didn't really bother me that we didn't win you know so or like even at frisbeer 2022 lucy and i didn't have a routine but like you know we kind of threw something together before the round and we played great we had like one or two drops and we got second and like it's a little disappointing in like some logical sense but i do not feel bad at all because i'm super happy with how we played and I would go back and watch what we did and say like we shredded and that's that's cool but again like it's okay to learn without trying to win it's okay to want to perform well without trying to win there's lots of things that you might want to do that coincide with winning but it doesn't mean winning is your obsession and like winning shouldn't be your obsession because what do we get for winning you know probably a trophy that's going to break on the way home and the luggage uh, negative a thousand dollars for the expenses of <laughs> traveling to the tournament. Uh, at this point, for probably all three of us, no extra respect. Like if anything, it's disdain for winning. So I don't know what else we're getting out of it. Speechless, Ryan. Speechless. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next part of Duke's question. This is the part that I'm excited about. He basically asks about our feelings towards the hippie aspect of freestyle frisbee, which we've never talked about. So I'm definitely curious on Ilka's viewpoint on this. So at least in the United States, there's a certain association of Frisbee with the counterculture in the 1970s. And a big part of the counterculture in the 1970s was this idea of like the American hippie who in the most negative portrayal of the stereotype is some kind of drug using, you know, half dressed person in the park on some kind of weird drug vendor. Pretty negative stereotype. But on the other hand, there's also more positive stereotype of sort of like an anti-war kind of peace-loving group. In any case, it's definitely something that's followed freestyle and Frisbee in general. And it's kind of a weird fit for especially me and Ryan, because we're probably the furthest thing from the like hippie stereotype as we could possibly be. But Duke is using this word, which I'm kind of interested in. And I'm curious to you, Ilka, like as a German freestyler, do you have this idea of Frisbee as this relic of 1970s counterculture? Or does that sound like something really foreign and unknown to you? Mm. No, I think um, Frisbee is also very much connected to hippies. I'm not sure if, if Dung meant it literally or more like kind of this concept of, you know, outside of the tournament and free-minded and hanging around and um, more like this. Um, I don't know, but um, what I can say to answer this question is that I uh, love that we are like so many different personalities and that I also meet people who are definitely um, more relaxed in their everyday life than I am. And um, and I can, well, I just love that the fact that we also have a lot of people who um, I'm missing the word, but extravagant is not the right word, but like a little... Um, like flamboyant you, almost. Yeah, like people who you are, you're going to definitely see them when they come into the room or like very special characters, like that we have a lot of characters in the sport and um, that we found each other in a way and that we accept each other um, apart from our differences and that's what I really love about it and what I also said to you today 
is that um, yeah, I'm very happy and grateful that I I'm part of a group um, in my life. I I'm super happy I found this group and that I'm welcome and that I belong and um, that the people take me as I am and that I can show my worst and my best sides and that they come out and people just yeah just accept me and all others and that yeah so that's um, maybe that's that's a little hippie that um, that we are like that and are very tolerant is a bad word but open-minded to each other yeah Ryan what do you think I think it depends a lot on the community that bring that you like grew up in. And so I was in the Seattle community and I, I'm going to use this like elitist word, like the average person in the Seattle community is pretty high functioning. And that's watching them like live their lives. Like I also tried to like match them and they were always about trying to be better freestylers. So I wasn't really, I didn't really get the hippie vibe. Like maybe the beast was retired, but he retired from Boeing. Like he had a pretty high functioning job. And even though he would like go out to the field and be with his like long flowing hair, he would still be like, here's the proper way to jam, stand up with your back straight. And this is the proper way to do it under the leg. So I never really got that sense of it until maybe I traveled. That's interesting. I'm going to put a really like even more horrible elitist socioeconomic thing on this, but just to put like a really objective measure on it, at least in the US, I think if you just got the median income of American freestylers, it's like off the charts. It's like all of the American freestylers, including the ones who were like the 1970s counterculture people, they're all like multimillionaire bankers, lawyers, Wall Street firm people living in their mansions. Like when I'm traveling and staying with American freestylers, I'm living the life of luxury because they're all these super high achieving people. But with that said, I do think every freestyler I know, that's a little bit too far, but like most freestylers seem to me like I, my experience of like kind of being outcast at some point in their life and growing up being a little bit different and getting used to being a little bit different. Because I do think one thing that we haven't talked a lot about, but it's always been a big part of me for freestyle is it takes a lot of courage to be a freestyler because it is kind of a weird idiosyncratic thing that not a lot of people do, not a lot of people get. And it's really hard to do something different that, you know, as Ilka likes to say, and I was definitely true for me, looks kind of silly when <laughs> you haven't seen it before and definitely looks pretty silly until you reach a very high level of skill. And it's like a obstacle course or a gauntlet to become a good freestyler. Like you have to endure being bad at it for years, you have to endure, at least in my experience, a certain amount of judgment from other people that you're doing this thing. And it's kind of one of the things that bothers me when people think you and I are into this for winning. It's like, really? Like, you don't, you, if you go into freestyle, you're a glutton for punishment and embarrassment. <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's so little respect and validation you get for being a freestyler that if your goal is to get that, you're probably doing the wrong sport. But I also think this is a situation where the American view might be a little different from the European view. And also something that's been changing. I think the attitude people have towards freestyle now is already way different than it was when I started in terms of openness to it. And like I would assume in Europe, there's a little bit more openness to freestyle than here. 
Hmm. I I have not noticed that that there well, but um, maybe others would disagree with me that people find the sport particularly cool. Sometimes on festivals, I find people like I don't people know if cool is me. the right word. It's more just like they're more non-judgmental. Yeah, it like falls into mm. the normal yeah range yeah. now. Like the but, nails especially are just acceptable anywhere yeah. now. True, but also Cologne is a, is, is a place where you can just be, you know, and like people are in general not so judgmental. I don't know places in Europe, but yeah, it's just that I don't find many people who come to me and say, wow, that's uh, interesting. Uh, can I learn or something like this? You know, so, but they let you be. Definitely. Yeah, but that's so, that's so interesting. I never thought about it this way, but I almost think it's worse if people are coming up and being like, what is this? Like, that's almost what makes it outside of normal Where, Like, I feel like I have experiences. I lived in Europe for a while and I felt more comfortable playing by myself in a park in Europe than I do in the United States because people would kind of just leave me alone and not act like there was anything weird about what I was doing. Whereas here, less so now, like I said, it's gotten a lot better. I still feel like I attract a lot of strange and often unwanted attention for what I'm doing. And this is like maybe reading into it too much, but I have much more often here. In fact, I don't think I've ever had it in Europe. I have the experience of a group of people, especially younger people coming up to me, asking me about it, but I kind of know they're making fun of me. Like they're, they're engaging with me about it and asking to like throw around, but there's something slightly judgmental about it. <laughs> and they're see. kind of laughing about it with me. And it's definitely something I experience at the Duke campus sometimes. Um, is that just because you're older than everyone there and you're the outlier? I don't know. I, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, part of it might be, and this is a good thing, like it is 2023 and we don't have, you know, back to the future Biff level bullies so much anymore where people are going to actually openly make fun of you. But I do think there's a thing of they're coming up, like, look at this goofy thing this guy's doing. Like, I want to try it, but they're not trying it in good faith. They're trying it as a joke. Like maybe that's a better way to explain it. Like there's, can I try it? Can I try it? And I throw to them and the way they're trying it is kind of disrespectful. Like they're not really trying it. Yeah. They're like already looking at their friends while they're doing it and laughing rather than thinking about what it is that we're actually doing. Although I wonder if that's just the cost of growing the sport. Like I bet every like baseball probably has that on the fringes as well. I think it is the cost and I'm willing to pay that cost. I mean, I said before of not prejudging whether you think someone's going to do it. So when those people come up, I engage. I say like, I'm okay. Like if I'm a grown up. It's okay if you want to, I've been doing this for 12 years. If you want to tease me about it, that's fine. You're not, you're not the first, you're not the last. And I'll give you a chance in case it is genuine or as is more often the case, there might be one person here who actually is interested and maybe they'll be the ones that keep doing it. So you never know. And I always try to be careful about this because it's really hard to read people and strangers and what their feelings are and what they're thinking. And maybe I'm imagining it, but it's really not so much whether I'm right or wrong. It's just a difference of what I experience here and what I've experienced in Europe. So I'm only practicing inside because I'm not willing anymore to... Um, that people come up to me all the time because it happens to me nearly every single time I'm outside that someone approaches me but not for really learning the sport but for 
yeah, either that um, men who want to flirt and say stuff like, oh, poor you, you have to play on your own. Like, should I play with you? Or dogs, you all know that people with dogs or children who um, where the parents say, oh, great, uh, she can play with my, my children. So I go inside. So I rarely made the experience that people were like really interested and really wanted to learn the sport. And I tried it with Bluetooth um, earplugs to show that I'm actually training and not so much into interaction. But yeah, that didn't really work out. And I'm super self-conscious um, then that people are watching me. And it's like, nah, no, it's, it's not worth it. I, I have my gym and go inside, which which is a pity, especially when the weather is good but and it's <laughs> and if the wind is good. But... But still, but I wanted to add to what you were saying about the outcast um, thing. I sometimes ask people if their parents played with them when they were children, because I had this theory that um, a lot of us made the experience to play on our own when we were when we are children, because we are so good in spending time on our own, practicing and being so happy when people want to play with us, like being so excited to meet others. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> And it's most like a lot of people say yes, not all people, but a lot of people say, yeah, I had to spend a lot of time on my own. No comment, but I do, <laughs> I do really like what you said. And I want to second it is I personally hate practicing in public or playing in public. And if freestyle were growing on its own, I wouldn't do it. I only do it in the hopes of recruiting people. And I hate it. It's like, I really don't <laughs> like doing it. I think one, because it's the freestyle and you attract attention. That's not always positive, but two, it's practicing. There's something like, I can't do what Fabio Sana does. I think I'd be more comfortable if I could, because I'd be jamming and it would be kind of cool and more performative, but I know I'm going to start practicing at some point and I'm going to look especially weird and I just, I can't do it any other way, but I will say, I actually almost think it is a little bit better to be practicing in terms of recruiting because the fact that you look like you don't know what you're doing can be helpful to attract. It's people. like the arcade of demo effect. Tell me about that. So it's like when you next time you go to the arcade and you have like the auto roll playing, like no one's playing the arcade machine. It's just like playing like video of someone playing. It's always mm -hmm. someone failing at the game on. Just that like, attract someone to play? Yeah, they're like, oh, I can you, do better oh, than that. Oh, you mean like. Oh, you mean so the way they program the arcade game yep. to make you want to play is they show video of the game like going wrong. Yep. That's interesting. That's pretty cool. I mean, I think a lot of people share that. I know you've said that to me and you kind of said that on our last episode about how it's the less skilled players that can be more attractive to newer players or potential players. And I used to agree with that 100%. Because I used to always say the only player I ever recruited was Daniel. And it was before I knew how to do anything. Now I've recruited a lot more players, but I think it's for a lot of different reasons. Um, so I do tend to agree that there is a lot of value in being newer because it is more approachable. And it almost goes to the art sport thing in a different light of like, if it's an art, it's very unapproachable for a new player. They don't want to, like for the same reason that if you were walking down New York and you saw someone doing a show you would never like interrupt the show and be like, excuse me, like I would like to become an actor. How do I do this? But if you saw some people playing ping pong or chess or a sport, you might be like, hey, like this looks fun. Can I participate? Um, 
that's not to say I'm not trying to put a pin on the sport or art debate. I just think it kind of relates this idea that if you're a little less skilled or a little rougher around the edges, it can be more attractive. Like I, for instance, do not tell people that I'm a world champion as long as I can, unless there's some like weird, compelling reason that I think it'll be helpful. But I kind of don't, I want it to seem really casual for as long as I can. Um, anyways, any other thoughts on that, Ryan? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, I can answer Oka's question. Like my parents played with me a lot when I was a kid, but I also played with myself, like making my own games. So I had both. We can't really base any anything off of Ryan. <laughs> like nothing about <laughs> Ryan is like anybody else I've ever met. I, I always say that you're the most idiosyncratic person I know. Just pretty much everything about you is a little bit different than everybody else. And I greatly admire. Yeah. So I don't I don't base any of my conclusions about how the world works on you and your decision making. <laughs> Is that fair? I think so. I give that advice to other people too. I'm like, this is like, how I do it, but you shouldn't follow because I'm doing it for different reasons than you're going to do it. Yeah, I just assume everything. It's like really my two closest freestyle friends, Daniel and Ryan, live in different universes from everybody else. Like the rules of the universe operate differently with them than everybody else in the world. Like you, me, all the other freestylers, we're living in the same universe, but they're in a parallel universe that intersects with ours and just <laughs> things are different. I don't know how it works, but it's always, it's always astounding. Um, okay. There's a couple more parts of Duke's question that I want to address. These are all kind of in the same bucket of what we talked about. So let's not spend too much time on it. Maybe I can just knock these out here. So he asked about if we can let go after the world champion titles and see it as more relaxed. I think absolutely. Like, mm -hmm. I think once, once you win the title, that's like, I think that's a perfectly reasonable goal to have as a up and coming player. And once you achieve it, there is a certain amount of relaxation you can have, but that doesn't mean you should stop trying to get better. For instance, like I actually really don't like it when people kind of stop trying once they win, but maybe I want to put another spin on this and ask you guys about this. Sometimes I think like, why are we so down on people trying to win? Like, it's really, it's not a bad thing to want to win. And I think a lot about what you say to me all the time, which is it's important to have goals. And I don't think we should put someone down who's trying to win a tournament. I think that's totally valid, right? I think it's totally valid. It depends on, on the cost for the community. I mean, how much like negative energy do you bring into into it that's what i if the person really wants to win i don't have a i have a personal problem with that that's totally okay and put, if they put um work into it but if it's getting too important and yeah for me the atmosphere at tournaments are really important that's why for a very long time i didn't go to the world championships because this is the tournament where people are least relaxed and it's way too big and you can't talk to everybody. So I preferred the small tournaments. And then I went to Colombia in 2014. And then I surprisingly won with BB. It was like a total surprise for me. And I disagree with what you said because it became less relaxed for me after I won this title. Because now you're world champion. And people are going to look at you and say, oh, this must be now the best woman in the sport. And I didn't feel like it at all. And then um, 
I was so happy to lose the title in 2015. <laughs> it was absurd because I was thinking, oh, finally, I got rid of this title so that people can't say, look, this is the world champion. And then you have to perform in a very well way in like, that's what I thought or that's what I'm feeling sometimes that there are high expectations with with stresses me more. But after I won the title, I got a lot of really cool player asking me to play with them, which didn't happen before, which made me starting going to the world championships. So since 2014, I went to every world championship because I want to play with these people and also got a little bit more used to the world. I will die on the hill that being a top player in the world is way worse than becoming a top player in the world. So I totally agree with that. I I could do a whole podcast just lamenting the pain <laughs> of being near the top, but I don't want to dig too much into that right now because I feel like I've already been talking about some of the negative parts of freestyle lately. Um, so I totally agree with you there. I guess just to clarify, I was kind of thinking of it in terms of that drive to kind of like prove yourself really changes in a positive way i think when you reach your goal i don't know it's it's more simple just like having a goal and achieving it is really great it doesn't mean a lot of other bad stuff can come with it because it often does but i certainly felt like for me it was winning in 2017 with you like i was already a two-time world champion but i felt like i hadn't really proved myself yet for different reasons. I was going to ask you about um, that. Yeah. The difference in your wins. Yeah. There's all kinds of differences and all my wins have a different kind of flavor, but I really felt like I'll be as honest as it is as possible. And hopefully I'm not like throwing my partners under the bus. 2012. I know like lots of people viewed as fluky of like bad wind and whatever, like we weren't that good and you know, maybe they don't deserve it. And 2014, kind of similar vibe. And so I kind of always felt like I'm the world champion that people roll their eyes about. That was in my mind, like whether that was true or not. I don't know. I mean, I know it was true to some extent because I would hear things about that, but that's how I felt. So I, ha I had this big burden of thinking like, I want to prove that I am capable and worthy of the title. And it's actually even different from wanting to win one in the first place. It's like, it's worse that I have one that I feel like I don't deserve than not having one at all, if that makes sense. And so I was really driven to overcome that. And at the time, as crazy as it sounds now, it wasn't obvious to me that I would win another one. And I would think about my favorite players, Matt Gauthier, and how even though he was winning mixed every year with Lisa, like he'd never won an open pairs title in all the years I was playing, which is crazy. And he won like one co-op title. And I would look at Fabio, who also never won a title once I was playing. So I was thinking in my head, like these are the best players in the world right now. And they might go 10 years without winning a world title. And that could become me. I could never win again. And I felt a lot of strain from that. And then when we won, that kind of went away. And then ever since then, I haven't really felt the need to prove anything on the winning front, but there's been a lot of other stuff. And it's almost like going to what you said, like, I think it's totally fine to want to win, but I agree with you that if you bring negative emotion, that's a problem. But I like separate that from winning. Like, It's not intrinsic to trying to win, obviously, that you're a horrible person. So it's okay to try to win in a really positive way. And I think the last thing I want to say on that is, just like I was talking about how people can sometimes put down spinning in a way that feels a little bit fixed mindset to me, 
I don't want to put down winning in a fixed mindset kind of way. Because I think there can be a really healthy version of I don't care about winning. And there can also be a really unhealthy version of I don't care about winning. That's fixed mindset. Mm. And the fixed mindset version would be like, if I don't try, if I don't care about winning, if I kind of dissociate myself from all this competition, then it's not a problem that I'm not getting better or I'm not doing well. So I think for some people, most people, hopefully not, for some people, putting down winning is giving themselves an excuse for, you know, I don't know, it's like helping their self-worth. Like if you're, you tie up your self-worth with how good you are at freestyle, you're not winning, but you fix that problem, you fix that cognitive dissonance by saying, but winning doesn't matter. Um, and that can be unhealthy. So it's, it's tricky. Like it, it depends on the person. You kind of have to look inward to figure out what version it is for you. In my opinion, it's just about what makes you happy in everything. So if it makes you happy to to win, then try to win. If it makes you happy to spin, then spin. If it doesn't make you happy to spin, don't spin. If, you know, like, we, we, I mean, it's part of the game that we uh, criticize each other or discuss stuff. And I, I see why, why people get so much into it. But in my opinion... Well, in the end, if we are all happy, we all won, right? So <laughs> this is Frisbee freestyle. So we freestyle, we um, we understand different things um, under the term freestyle or what it means. And that's okay. But yeah, that's my approach to it. It it, it finishes all the discussions, unfortunately, which would make it boring. But yeah, I don't like people who are... I'm judgmental on judgmental people. So... <laughs> I think my twist on that is try not to put your self-worth into freestyle. Like whether you're a worthy person or a good person or not has nothing to do with your ability to do cool freestyle frisbee tricks. And I think if you do that, that's where winning because becomes something negative or even not wanting to win becomes something negative. But like Ilka says, if you can do this for the joy that it brings you, you're going to be a good, in a good place. And I think when I do have situations where someone's kind of like confronting me about their perception of what I'm like trying to do and trying to win, I always have to explain to people, like I started freestyling because it was fun and I keep freestyling because it's fun. And if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. And it's truly the only reason I do it at this point. There's nothing else for me to get out of it except for fun <laughs> and I think, like Ilka said, it really, probably for everybody, it should be about fun. And if it's about something else, think about that, whether that makes sense. Because there's a lot of other things in life that you might want to do that have nothing to do with fun. You might need to go to work, even though it's not fun. You might need to try to do well in school, even though it's not fun. But if you're freestyling for some reason other than fun, I don't know what you're trying to get out of it because there's not much else. All right. On a lighter note, like what is the fun part for you right now. It's definitely not winning. Like for me, it's building the judging, the new electronic judging system. That's the fun part of the freestyle Frisbee for me. What's it for you? That's where Ryan lives in alternative universe. <laughs> it's like the most fun thing to me is people yelling at me as I work for hundreds of hours to build a system for their benefit. So that that's unique to Ryan. I mean, for me, it's obviously, it won't surprise anyone teaching the new players. I get so much joy out of that. I had such a good time today just messing around with Will. 
And then I still love jamming. I can't help it. Like, I think I love it a lot less than I used to in my prime enjoyment of freestyle. But, you know, when we're at beach weekend and the wind's good and I'm playing with you and Jake, there's pretty much nothing better than that. Like, whenever it's happening, I have that moment where I think like, yeah, there is nothing I would rather do <laughs> in the whole world than this. And that's awesome. And I've never done anything that, that was that was that fun. And I had a lot of hobbies before freestyle that I thought were the best thing in the world. And then when I freestyled and was in flow, I was like, nope, this is it. This is the best. What do you think? I love 99% of the people. I love traveling. I love the parties. I uh, love to be outside doing sports. Um, I love if finally something works out, which I have tried for a very long time. And uh, I can show off a little on in the next jam and and show it and people get surprised i i love that like the gaitosis brush i did today yeah. that <laughs> brought me a lot of joy second try i'll take that i probably won't hit the next 500 um you actually reminded me of the other thing i wanted to ask you both so we talked about this before we didn't know you didn't know i was going to bring it up on the podcast but my question for you ilka because i think you're gonna have the most standard answer is has freestyle frisbee made your life better yeah, 100%. As I said, I belong to a group, although I know if I stop freestyling and decide not to become a groupie and follow you around, that I would um, lose contact with most of the of the people. Um, although, for example, um, at Gran Canaria, two people came who were friends of Matteo Ceresa, who I haven't seen in a decade since, he's him, from since 2010 he's one of the first freestylers i met yeah and they came to me and said greetings from matteo Teresa. he uh, he says hello and so there is still a bond even though you don't see her anymore and i i want to believe that this that we even if i stop that they're like there's still the bond and maybe sometimes when i'm in a town i would contact the people and see them so but yeah so i belong to a group um I do sports on a regular basis. I can uh, connect all my hobbies. As I said, partying, uh, traveling. I visit places like North Carolina where I probably would have never gone to. And Most I can- beautiful place in the world. And I can afford it because I can live here for free, which <laughs> I could probably Well, you just haven't gotten already. your bill yet. <laughs> Funny? No, I'm joking. It's like healthcare. It comes like two months later. It's like $100,000. <laughs> Yeah, like okay. a surprise bill. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it made me really happy. And um, I would not know where what I what I did if what I would do if uh, Frisbee Freestyle didn't come into my life. It's it's amazing. So, yeah. Right. For sure. It's improved. I think just for the same reasons Ilka said, the people I met, like all my dance friends I've met just because I played freestyle frisbee. And like like you, James, and I would have not have met if it wasn't weren't for a freestyle frisbee. Okay, well now I'm gonna sound awful. <laughs> but I'm gonna <laughs> zag. I'm gonna zag and say I don't know. But it's for reasons that you might not expect. So I agree completely with both what you both said. But here's the part that I struggle with, which is that all the freestyle stuff was incredible, but I sometimes think that it made everything else in my life. A little bit worse and for different reasons so 
The simplest reason is that I had to build my entire life around being able to freestyle because it's a small sport that's not popular in many places in the United States. And it created tension between freestyle and everything else in my life. So I think maybe if I never found freestyle, I would be a happy automaton working my job every day, not worried about anything or how long I need to work. And just, I'd, I would be more like Dunk's model of the meditative person who was content in my life. <laughs> maybe not, but possibly. But instead, for much of my life, I've thought, when I'm at work, I'm not freestyling and I could be freestyling. And there's this tournament over here that I'd like to go to or... I'm thinking constantly about how this time is taken away from my freestyle and it makes the rest of my life a little bit harder, like picking jobs, picking schools, picking whatever to go around freestyle. And I don't know, like I'm living a life with a lot less freestyle now and I'm like learning about all these things that I kind of missed out on because I was freestyling all the time. Like, but life is, is long. Nice. Like I don't believe that for a second. Like like my job involves like thinking of all the different situations and like which ones sound plausible like that non-freestyle life that you're thinking about does not sound plausible it would have been replaced by something else yeah I mean I really don't know like I'm kind of purposely zagging here so it's not just a total <laughs> everyone has the same answer saying the same thing and I told Ilka in the car earlier like for almost all of my freestyle life I would have given the answer that the great Matt Gothier gave on a tv interview with his he said, my life is infinitely better from Freestyle Frisbee. And I told Ilka the story. I'm not sure it's going to play well on the podcast, but I'm going to try it. So there's a famous poem that we all have to read in high school in the United States called The Road Not Traveled. Do you know this one, Ryan? Yeah. Even Ryan. Robert Frost. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Look at him go. <laughs> so it's a poem that a lot of people misinterpret and use in a very cheesy way. So it's a kind of poem that you get on a card when you graduate school or something. And the way most people interpret the poem is the poem is about someone who finds two roads in the woods and he takes the road less traveled and it makes all the difference in his life and makes everything better for him. The idea being instead of following the mainstream path that everyone else does, you're going to do something different and it's going to make your life better. But here's the thing. The poem is not about that because if you read the poem more carefully, what it actually says is the roads are exactly the same. You pick one randomly. And then when you reflect on your life, you create a narrative about your life that makes it seem like you made all the right decisions. So the classic example, you hear this all the time is people say like, oh, like I went to this college and it was the perfect choice for me because that's where I met my spouse and my best friend and got my dream job. But of course, if they went to the other school, they also would have met their spouse, got their dream job, whatever. So there's a lot of hindsight bias of like we make choices in our life and then we look back and for I think most people you assume you made the right choices, but for some people they might also look back and say that's I made the wrong choices and that's what happened and maybe it didn't matter. Now, this is what I said to Ilka earlier. I think that's true a lot of the time. And when people come to me for advice about like what school to go to, I tell them it doesn't matter. You'll be fine. You're going <laughs> to like wherever you go. Freestyle, on the other hand, is so different from basically anything else you would reasonably do in your life, that if you find freestyle, I think it did radically change your life for better or worse. And there's no alternative timeline of your life that's remotely similar to the freestyle timeline. Yep, I agree. I was thinking like, yeah, that spouse example, like there's 
a thousand people I could possibly marry in the world right now, but there's only one James Wiseman. And like, I could never find a replacement. Well, love you, buddy. I told this to Ilka. So I first found Frisbee, not freestyle Frisbee, at a jazz festival in Temple, Texas in, let's say, 2007 or 2008. Someone brought out a Frisbee during our break and we started playing Frisbee. And that moment determined where I went to college, where I went to law school, who I married, who seven of my nine groomsmen were. I mean, where I live, it determined what I studied. It basically every material aspect of my life changed because Bowman Townsend pulled out a Frisbee at the Temple Jazz Festival in 2007. And that's pretty crazy. And I don't think many people have that many fulcrum points in their life where so many things hinge on something so accidental. Yeah. The butterfly effect. I, it's like so fun. I hope like when the end of life summary and you get to like see all the choices, <laughs> you get to see like that Frisbee decision was, I don't know, like, I don't know. Okay. Well, now that we're meandering into philosophy, mm-hmm. I'm going to go even deeper. I've asked you this question. I've never asked Ilka. So the question is, and pick whatever day you, or time you want to pick. If you could go back to 17, 13, pick your age and redo your life, would you do it? I know Ryan's answer and I'll let him go first. hundred percent. Yes. Tell us more. Because uh, there was some like other context where I remember everything I know now. Fine. You can, you can take whatever you want with you. If you want to take all your knowledge right now, you can. Like for one, I would be retired in a couple of years just because of investments. And I could easily find you again. That would not be a problem. Like all the critical. So you were talking about like these linchpin type decisions. I could easily do all the ones that are important to me again. Yeah, but it would, I don't know if it would work though. You'd come up to me and you'd be like, I'm a billionaire 18 year old who invested in Amazon stock in 1997. (laughs) And here's a Frisbee, like, let's play. And I'd be like, whoa, like I'm a cool jazz drummer who has no time for this. No, I don't know if that would totally work. (laughs) We talked about this before. Okay. But I want to take away the money aspect of it. Like I would go back for the sole purpose of investing in Amazon stock in 1997. (laughs) But take that away. You can have your knowledge, but you can't use it to like bet on the Super Bowl and make a ton of money. I would still do it. Okay. But I think when we talked about it before, one of the big reasons was it seems like there's so much benefit. You'd be the smartest kid in high school. You'd be the smartest kid in college. You would just be able to do everything you've done now better. You would have been a world champion in 2008. Okay, but now, Ilka, would you go back to any particular time and would you want to relive it? And there's a cost, obvious, that Ryan didn't go into, which is you would lose some things, of course, that you might not be able to recreate the second time through. If Oh, now I get the question. So the question is, would I go back uh, no. Me neither, but say more. Um, well, I asked myself the question many times because when you go back and you, and you have, for example, all these frisbee skills, um, it, it would be it would be really weird because no one could throw to you uh, like where I started playing because they have not started yet. Or maybe I go back where I started with my skills now. It would still be weird. I mean, it would take away maybe a lot of the fun 
of of improving and would change so much but the main reason why i don't want to go back is um i don't want to do all the things again i don't want to go to university again i'm so <laughs> glad i'm out of university oh my head i really didn't like this time and i would i know myself i would put exactly the same effort into it again i i i mean of course i learned some stuff but Oh, no, 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 no. So I'm glad I've got all this behind me. And I'm, I'm a very, like, I became extremely happy in my adult life. I love to be, <laughs> to be an adult. Um, I don't want to go back to, to these times. I mean, I, I can't say I had like really bad childhoods, but um, I'm, I definitely prefer my adult life. That's so strange to me. Yeah, I agree with Ilka a thousand percent That's i'm probably knows. the opposite i'm like i would love to relive my worst days again because it's I think like when i have I choice high... it's not gonna do the exact same thing that would be terrible but then you will find out why you did these things i mean you're gonna change so many things and in the end maybe it's it's not gonna be the same again maybe you don't meet the same people again for some random reason you can't reconstruct the whole thing and then Oh, no, I don't I don't want to find out that I'm not a person who regrets anything. I always know why I did certain things at that certain time. And it was not all the right thing. Um, I made mistakes, of course. But these mistakes led to something which I don't even know what it was. And I, I don't want to mess it up a second <laughs> time. I think it would be worse. I'm so with you, Oka, for all the reasons you said. And I just... This sounds so arrogant, but I'm, I'm just going to go headlong into it. I don't think I could do better. Like, I really, I feel like there was at least 10 Ocean's 11 level <laughs> outcomes for me. Where it's like there was a hundred moving parts and everything worked out exactly the way I needed it to work out. I mean, even if you pick random things, like even if you put me in my 18 year old body with all my freestyle skills, it's not obvious to me I could be like achieve more in freestyle with the same 10 year period. Like so many things worked out with incredible luck. And, and then on the, the work part too, with Ilka, it's like, especially with school. Yeah. I would be the smartest kid in high school, but it would still be really annoying to write all the papers and mm -hmm. take all the tests and study and prepare. And I would still have to prepare three routines every year for the world championship <laughs> and hope for the best and deal with all the problems. And I might break my leg to first worlds and then be out of luck the next 10. Like there's so many things that could go wrong that didn't go wrong the first time around. And I don't really want to mess with that. I see. A big difference is you always say life is long, but I think the opposite. I think life is short. And if I go back, I get to live two lives. It like doubles the amount of years that I have. Like all the things that happen in this life still count to me. Like, I'm like, I did all those things and I earned a lot of things. And like, I can go earn twice as many things now. That's an interesting perspective. I could definitely ask you a bunch of follow-ups on that, but then we'd basically be talking about the afterlife and the meaning of and purpose of living day-to-day -day existence. So <laughs> I'll, I'll spare everybody that after all the philosophy we've gone into. But I, I always think it's an interesting question because... I'm surprised that there are people like you who agree with me that they wouldn't want to go back because it sounds like life was a lot of work and 
to feel like you had to start over sounds terrible. I'll give this is my last story, just as an analogy. When I was in Prague in 2012, my friend had an old black and white Game Boy, and he had one of the old Pokemon games. And on this Pokemon game, he had like a hundred percent completionist. He had like every Pokemon and they were all completely maxed out to the max. And I was like, yeah, but it would be so fun if we started over and played the whole game again. He was super hesitant about it. I was like, no, 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 let's do it. And then we deleted the game. We played about five minutes and I was like, eh, I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I worked for years to have all those Pokemon and now we have nothing. And I was like, yeah, sorry, man. It was actually the great Jay Coleman, catch early, catch often. But <laughs> I think that's the version. It's like you've completed the whole game and you have everything you ever wanted. Can you imagine rebuilding it from scratch? Because I agree that a lot of it would be new, but a lot of it would be the same. And I don't know. I just, I got a lot, I got a lot of luck in my life and I wouldn't want to risk the, the worst outcomes. Okay. Um, I think that was all on the Doom question. Do we even want to do another one? I'll leave it up to you, Ryan. No, I think that was good for for this episode. I feel like it'd be weird if we went on to the next questions, which are like, how do you warm up before a gym? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that we've discussed the meaning of life, let's talk about calf stretches. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, with that, Ilka, it's been a real pleasure having you here. I don't know if there's anyone who I've had more deep college level 2 a.m. type conversations about the meaning of life and the universe that I have with you this last month. And it's been super fun and really awesome having you on the podcast. And I look forward to seeing you in a couple more weeks in your part of the world. Yeah, that's the great part, right? I'm like always sad when we say goodbye, but at the same time, I know we're going to all see each other again soon on the next turn. Thank you so much for having me here and a second time on the podcast. Even it was a real pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, so let's see each other soon. Thank you, Ryan, too, awesome. for making we'll this happen. Check out clockercounter.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow it. Rate it. Even if it's a bad rating, we'll take it. And with that, we'll talk to you next week.